This is Coda Radio, episode 322, <laughs> for August 13th, 2018. everybody, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, Linux Academy and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. Why me? Thanks for asking. My name is Chris, but more importantly, is that podcasting ninja, that wizard of the cute, that man in Florida, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. What are we doing over there? Are we opening one up at the start of we the are, show? We're opening <laughs> one up. The drink of the show today is a Sweetwater Tropical Lover Ooh. Berliner Weiss beer out of Florida. We, you know, I'm repping in my new home state. Yeah, it sounds like a nice summer beverage too. I got to be honest with you. Good call well, on it's that. It's always summer in Florida, and in the summer, you basically feel like you're in downtown Fallujah. So, Ooh, you know. yeah, that's that's probably not. Well, then I guess that's even more reason to drink, Mister Dominic. Now, I have been looking forward to today's episode since we got off the air last week because we've been following along on your cute journey, and it's been generating quite a bit of interest from the audience. So, we're going to be doing an update today on that, as well as covering a bunch of feedback. Talk a little Google AMP. Talk a little LGPL, and we got a tool of the week. It's like a fully rounded out diet, like, you know, like a, a fully recommended breakfast when you're eating your cereal, you know, you have to have your orange juice too. It's like a fully recommended podcast diet. Hmm. Someone's been listening to ATP. Is that where I got that from? Yeah, that's where you got that from. I was try- I was thinking about that when I said that. Where has somebody been talking about cereal recently? For 20 minutes. What? Okay, well, let's not do that. Because I know that, yeah. got, that got on my mind. And then I started Then I started wanting cereal, and I don't even know where it got in there from. <laughs> it's been the weirdest thing. So maybe that's why I got so sick. Anyways, we won't yeah. get into that. We don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about some of the feedback we got. Cute. Go ahead. Read it out. Cute got people thinking. Uh, and this one came in from Johnny. And it's not for him. He says, hey, guys. He says, hey, guys. <laughs> I says, I'm not a fan of Qt at all. It's a very complex system for simple UIs. It just has never fit my needs, I guess. Now, if I was a C++ programmer, I may use it, but because of the licensing, I'd probably shy away from it for anything that's commercial just because of that strange licensing. I'd probably end up going towards WX widgets if I was forced to use C++. However, I am a C programmer, so I used a library called IUP, our or IUP, I'm, I'm not sure. Check it out when you have a chance. It's, a simple, it's simple and clean and allows you to describe windows in a simple file format that can then be loaded. There are even Lua bindings, which I also like. In my humble opinion, for quick UIs, IUP, or UP, IUP, whatever it is, has really been good to me. Now, I would like to say that Qt would be the way to go for teams of programmers that are working on large projects. Just my two cents. Really been enjoying the topics. They've been interesting to me. Keep up the good work, guys. Now, don't say anything, because we have more. Because then Gary kind of comes in, uh, not to interrupt, but I want you to hear this part too. Gary comes in with the other side. He says, I liked the discussion around Qt and Qt Creator. I like Qt quite a bit, but I don't love Qt Creator itself. Uh, I don't really work in GUI, so I have no visual or artistic talent to begin with, and I'm terrible at it. My GUIs make the 80s look good. (laughs) But the keyboard shortcuts blow away Visual Studio. I work on projects where there's three to four million lines of code, and I do it all mainly on Linux. And the the way I make it work is Z Linux and Windows. 
uh, and I have to use Visual Studio, I'm, I, I'll just use Remote Desktop. I used to like Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, but it seems like it's become clunkier and larger since it launched. So I like the cute, but not so much the cute creator, Gary. So, so there you go. You got Johnny, who doesn't like cute, and you got Gary, who does like cute. Um, <laughs> and I, I find that whole thing to be kind of funny. Just like typical audience response, you have one group that really likes something and the other group that doesn't. But there has been a general level of interest here that I think is pretty big. And Eric, our last one, and then I'll let you get jump in here. Uh, Eric writes in, he says, I wanted to let you guys know that I came across a QML library for .NET. It's still in early development. I don't have any experience with it, so I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but I thought you might just find it useful. And then he links us to the GitHub project, QML.net. That does sound kind of interesting. So there you go. That is sort of my slam through of the general temperature of the cute feedback. What do you think, Mr. Wizard? Mr. Florida Wizard? I love it. And I've summoned a storm just to show my enthusiasm. Is that what that is? Wow. That's just a lot of rain. So, yeah, I mean, we got a lot of feedback on Q. A lot of people are interested in it. Today's episode is going to be largely on Q. But I I did not know, particularly uh, Eric's feedback, how many different bindings there are for QML, right? There's uh, obviously he found .NET. There's Python. I even thought I found a Java binding. Like, there's just a lot of ways to, I guess, use Qt without actually having to use uh, C++. Yeah, the .NET one surprised me. I mean, not that much. None of these things surprised me that much. But it didn't come up in our conversation. I hadn't gone looking for it. So it was nice for Eric to send that in. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm pretty excited by the, by, the, by the potential. I think there's a lot there to it. I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll uh, change my tune as we get into the show here. But... Yeah, you know, uh, I got a, I had a story that was submitted into the show that I wanted to chat with you just as a general hoopla before we really right. get into the rest of the show. There is a post over on rockstarcoders.com, which already kind of triggers me. I can't help it. And the post goes something a little bit like this. I've got egg on my face with no fewer than three articles and three YouTube videos breaking about how great my design work has been lately to get a 500% improvement in our conversion rate. And now... I've gone and lost a huge chunk of that improvement with some recent changes. Let's talk about Google AMP. AMP stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages. It's a technology Google originally introduced to get web developers to speed up their web pages for mobile devices and mobile networks. But in many ways, it seems like a great technology for any device or network who doesn't want fast websites. Everyone does. There's nothing that's all that magical about it. A big part of the performance boost is simply its standards. No JavaScript, all inline CSS, and CSS, and the CSS can only measure 500 kilobytes or less. You're going to make any page load faster with those requirements. But Google AMP also hosts the AMP pages from their own CDN. So certain pages you bump in from organic search results will actually display from Google's own servers. And it's very fast. In organic and recently paid placements on your page, there's even a nifty AMP lightning bolt icon to let people know it's going to be super fast. The thing is, is he jumps in on it, he puts his clients through there, but now he's saying that it has been a dramatic reduction in the traffic to the website. Uh, And he talks about how so there's been some challenges with some AMP pages being broken, sometimes blank pages are served, sometimes multiple pages on your site are surfaced as AMP pages. But the the core takeaway is they saw a 70% drop in their conversion rate when they started to deploy AMP. And he goes into a series of reasons about this. 
But I wanted to just take a moment, since it's up in the hoopla, to discuss it with you, because I've had an opportunity to discuss it with Joe a little bit on Linux Action News. And our core, our core takeaway is that while it's great for end users to load pages faster, what would be a lot better is if people just built better websites. Is that... Am I just... Am I so insulated as a geek... Can I just can I just not wrap my head around why people can't build slightly better websites or why we can't why we can't just do this ourselves? Why do we need Google to build AMP? Why can't it be something that people do themselves? And so when you see things like, well, it's hosted on their own domain, so they take away our URL, so we lose some of the branding. People don't know if it's us. When people share the URLs, our own name isn't in the URL. Like there's all these complaints that Google is working to address. And Google is promising that any web page that matches the performance of an AMP page will get the same exact treatment in the Google search rankings. But that's, but come on, that's impossible. If Google is serving up these web pages from their own CDN, there's no way you're going to beat that unless you're probably hosting it on Google Cloud. And it's just a no-win scenario. And I, I feel like we are just slowly succumbing to this and we're going to lose independence. And maybe maybe being an independent publisher on the Internet for more than a decade skews my view of this. But I, I, I hate the idea of people sharing links to a Jupiter Broadcasting episode and it's an AMP URL and not a Jupiter Broadcasting URL. Just like I detest the fact that Stitcher re-hosts our content and re-encodes the MP3s and makes them sound worse. I just it just it goes against fundamentally why I'm an independent content creator. I hate that aspect of it. And just anybody that has pride of their work, you don't even have to be independent. You could be an employee that works for a newspaper and just have pride in journalism and you wouldn't want that to happen. So I've gone on here for a little bit, but I'd love to get your take on it because I don't think I've ever gotten to pick your brain on this topic. And if you think if this is maybe just an issue that these folks over at Rockstar Coders are blowing out of proportion, maybe my insulated geek bubble is causing me to see this with rose-colored glasses. But to me, it seems like the solution is people should just build better sites. Easier thing is like, is AMP itself something people should be doing? Yeah. Um, I, I would argue no, because like, like instant apps and things like that, it's just another, you know, Google takes a lot of these shots and developers implement stuff and then Google decides they're done with something. Um, this feels a lot like that. It also feels a little, little icky, for lack of a better word, that, oh, if you're as performant as something hosted on our CDN, on our search engine, we will give you equal treatment. So what they're saying is this is a way for like SEO people to really game. Their, that's what this sounds like to me. Um, yep. Your, your question about can people build better websites? Your old buddy, Brian Lunduke, has actually endeavored to answer that question. His answer is they can, they won't. And I, I happen to agree with him. It's an intentional thing? People want it's bad websites? It's an intentional websites? thing. They're intent well, no. People want to track and monetize their users. Ah. So what's happening is, if you, let's go to like, uh, uh, what the hell? Kara Switcher hates me anyway. Let's go to recode.net. <laughs> and oh, look let's at all the do not, it. Yeah. Open up a... Uh, here, open up a Chrome window yeah. and just look at all the crazy JavaScript running. And actually, The Verge is worse. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The Verge is notoriously bad. That's why I didn't pick on them. Although they're the same company now. It's not that like there's something magical. Of course, image sizes have gotten bigger, videos, things like that. Mm. But it's the ad tracking. It's the cookies. It's the all kinds of uh, third-party integrations, such as Facebook and, you know, frankly, uh, customer analytics firms that 
most people have never heard of that's slowing down your web experience. I think it's definitely, I think that's definitely fair. It's definitely that. But I, I don't think it's only that. Like you look at Jupiter Broadcast. Of course, it's not only that, yeah. Our site doesn't really, I mean, there there may still be Google Analytics on there, maybe. Um, uh, but we don't track for ad purposes. We don't have any ads on our website, but it's WordPress, you know, because we wanted a push button publishing system. And we just, and so if I had, if I had a dedicated web developer who could develop a, a, a static website that was like updated from Markdown files and the CDN, I don't, you know, however it would work to publish podcasts with a static site, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? Not have something that's dynamic, dynamically generated and all of that. We have plugins to do all that, but, um, to make it static but you get my drift like i think it's a yeah. function of you have to be in this marketplace you have to be a player on the web you have to have a web presence your app has to have a website you know everything has to have a com every vulnerability has to have a brand name and it all has to be on on and and but that's not people's core competency so they're forced well, to use these systems that are super heavy it, it's not just Google Analytics, though, right? Like Google Analytics is less horrible than a lot of the things. So w what's happening is people are using Google Analytics and like five other ad tracking platforms. So it's the cumulative effect, particularly on mobile, where basically Safari or, or uh, sure. onboard Chrome yep. is choking itself to death. That makes sense. All right. Well, I wanted to pick your brain on that just a little bit, because if to me, every time AMP stuff comes up, I I, I guess I feel like... It's one of those things that's just sort of slowly happening. And there hasn't been a lot of discussion about if we're okay with that because it represents a ton of control for Google. Well, you know, proprietorization of the web, right? That's yes, yes. Yeah, and re-hosting. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess it just seems like when there, whenever it's in the news, I feel like, well, why don't we talk about it for a moment? Let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. Speaking of reminding ourselves, I'd like to remind you about Linux Academy. This could be a great opportunity for your continuing education. You know, the thing is, the IT industry moves at a breakneck pace. I think we all kind of acknowledge that when we got into the IT industry. But how do you actually do your due diligence and stay relevant in an industry that changes that often? How do you stay current? Because maybe what you learned 5, 10, 15 years ago isn't directly applicable these days to, to deploying a Docker container or something like that. That's where Linux Academy can come in. Even if you've got what you need certification-wise, you're in the career you want. If you just want to stay current, it's worth investing in yourself. So go to linuxacademy.com coders and sign up for a free seven-day trial and try out the platform. They've got great tools if you are ready to go get those certifications. And they have hands-on labs. So if you're more of a visual learner, if you learn by doing, they've got great resources for you. You can spin up to six lab servers on demand. And something kind of neat they're doing just out there for the community, you don't even have to be a subscriber, is a couple of new things that I think are worth your time, worth checking out, including their new Google Cloud Weekly Show that's coming out on Wednesdays on the Linux Academy YouTube channel. So if Google Cloud is on your radar, it's something you're working on, they are posting a weekly update now. They're usually about five, I don't know, 10 minutes, kind of depends on the topic. Last week, it was about GPU acceleration on Google Cloud. There's also launch of a Docker study group. And that's going to be on YouTube as well. So it's probably time to go check out their YouTube channel if you want to be part of the Docker study group or if you want to get weekly updates on Google Cloud. Now, that's all just free content. But if you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you can sign up for a free seven-day trial and try out the entire platform. And they've just recently launched almost, I don't know if the official number is 200, but it's got to be near 200 types of hands-on training, content, and 
uh, things for Azure, AWS, Cord Linux itself, Red Hat certifications, and DevOps as well. It's a ton of content they've just launched in the last few months. They're always adding and updating the old content so your membership constantly gets value. So go get started at linuxacademy.com slash coders. And don't forget about that new Docker study group and the new weekly Google Cloud Show all over on the Linux Academy YouTube channel, linuxacademy.com. Just go to YouTube and search for Linux Academy. You'll find it. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, linuxacademy.com slash coders with an S. Okay, so let's get into your adventures with Qt. This has been pretty fun. And your last couple of episodes have covered some of the advantages about the cross-platform nature of it. Uh, QML we talked a little bit about last week and why we both were pretty impressed by that. And now it sounds like you've had a little time to play with Qt on Windows, which I compliment you. You know, we should we should try to represent the Windows portion of the audience from time to time because they're out there and they're a decent percentage. So I'm really curious to know how the adventures have gone on Windows and all of that lot. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> So, Windows. What can I say about Windows? That, yeah, nothing nice to say here. So, yeah, the code I was working with was my code, and I was trying to add a dependency to something called ZMQ. Now, ZMQ is basically a uh, way to transmit data over ports. Very common, used a lot in like aerospace and you know embedded systems, things like that. So one of the requirements I have is this application must run on Windows. Okay. In fact, it's, as of today, the primary platform. Ah, okay. So I took my Qt project and I went to install ZMQ on Windows. You can look at the post on DominicM.com. It was a nightmare. It was unbelievably bad. By how I so? mean, it makes... So there's like a ZMQ MSI installer, okay. which does not do what you think it does and i ended up and that's why we have a tool of the week i ended up spending like three whole days trying to get this to work you know not understanding like it would see the library i'd add the dll to the project it would crash at launch with no output which if you've ever done windows dev you know crash at launch with no output probably means something wrong with your dll's then i ran a uh, dependency one of those dependency crawlers Oh, and sure enough, it was a DLL, and it's on, yeah, CB, the error I was getting is the CBD, so debugger process terminated. Get the hell out of here. It was hot garbage, the definition of dumpster fire. Now, do you need to be able to develop on Windows to run it on Windows? Is that a requirement? Yeah, yeah, ah. you do. Qt doesn't allow cross-compiling, generally. So, after about three days, I ended up finding this tool called vc package uh it's a microsoft tool i linked to the github in the show notes what it basically is is a powershell tool that allows you to in it's basically a package manager right it's a package manager for c libraries and dependencies hmm. you know apt get right because the, the answer to this problem on linux was sudo apt install zmq yep. zmq dev mm-hmm on Mac, brew, brew installs EMQ. Yeah. Like, it really was unbelievably hard to get this running on Windows. And granted, I will give, like, to our .NET and Windows developer listeners, I am not, like, the super Windows guy, obviously. So maybe, like, 
a more experienced .NET would have been like, of course I install VC package on every sure, computer. Yeah, yeah. The package manager should come with the computer. Isn't right. it? It is worth noting how enabling a package manager is in terms of just sitting down at a computer and getting to work, which is most advantageous when you're first setting up and not as advantageous once everything is set up after you know everything is done it's not really a big deal but that first initial setup period it makes a huge difference and it makes windows you, feel like an ancient operating system yeah it like dlls we could have a whole show about why they're bad right like i i firmly believe today after this whole experience that you know posix compliance systems are more correct things make more sense it's just i don't know i mean i know there's the rumors about like microsoft making a a windows derivative or rather operating system derivative of linux obviously that's probably only for azure but this is no way to live right this is this is true suffering like i i I could i couldn't i haven't been this frustrated in probably six years Wow. During development. Wow. Like, th- this was unbelievably bad. So you think this is um, one of those edge cases where Windows sort of falls down as a development platform? And not that it couldn't well, be solved. could have also, like, had a tool right. for Windows, right? right? I, I just want to say that. Like, the Windows support, like, on Linux and Mac, it basically finds your dependencies for you. Now, you could say, well, that's because Linux and Mac are POSIX, and they just look under user include and user uh, whatever user bin, whatever it is. On Windows, it's a little more magical. For instance, you might link to a DLL in C program file 0MQ, which was the right answer, which is idiotic as far as I'm concerned. So I feel like I lost the thread. I'm just mad at Windows for sucking. Uh, how fortunate, no, so, How fortunate before you go on, how fortunate is Apple that a community came together, came together and created Brew for them? Like that platform desperately yeah. needs it. Yeah, because Porsche is terrible. I know yeah, when we but. did our Windows 10 experiment, um, <clears throat> what was it, more than a year ago? When we did our Windows 10 experiment, uh, I ended up getting a, a new terminal to replace CMD and a package manager. Mm. I just had to. Uh, it, it's funny. I'm on Windows 10 right now for reasons that will become clear at the end of this show today. But it feels, in fact, I had a conversation before the show. It feels old, but not in the way of like 1950s Flash Gordon black and white shows right the old, the old sci-fi show it feels old like a typewriter but feels, not a cool hipster typewriter no 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 what it is is if i'm i might be i might be projecting but what the sense is that i get is it feels like you're struggling with solved problems these are problems yes. that are solved why is this something why is this the thing i'm wasting my time on why hasn't this platform made it easier for me to just get down and get to working you're yeah, right like the though. setup right the setup procedure for this project on Mac or Linux is you run a batch script that I wrote called setup underscore Mac setup underscore Linux, right? <laughs> and lo and behold, you're done. Uh, and in that script, the script is about four lines long, right? It's just a bunch of concatenated batch commands. It, it, Windows, it's like, and you have to drag and drop this, and you have to go into pro- program files, and your dependency might be there. Did you give up, it's, or were you successful? I succeeded at the end. Oh, good. But I was not a happy camper. Yeah, yeah, I saw some grousing on Twitter. I saw yeah, some hope, grousing. Yeah. <clears throat> That's how I usually know something's going on. Mike's got a struggle. <laughs> the struggle's real. And it's just like, you know what it is? I don't like Windows very much. Mm. So, I, you know, I'm just getting prog- progressively angrier. Yeah. You go in with yeah. a bias towards, uh, right. I, like, I might, I get angrier faster with Windows because I have, 
I don't know. I've spent so many years fixing it in the past that I feel like my threshold for dealing with it is lower. Well, and I've also made like a conscious decision in the past to avoid these kind of problems by like not being a, you know, quote unquote corporate Windows dev. And uh, the fact that I was sort of pushed into this. Mm. Yeah, not I'm not. I, I, I don't even know what to tell you. I mean, not, not of course, all platforms are good, but some platforms are more good. Right. Yeah, that is an interesting thing when you like, oh, man, boy, do I know that feeling when there's some work that you have to do that makes you use a tool that you wouldn't normally want to use. Gosh, oh, man. Yeah, it does make it much harder to deal with annoyances. And you have to just sort of sit there and be like, this isn't a big deal. Don't freak out. You'll get through this. Well, well, it's it's an interesting deal, though, as Microsoft tries to appeal to developers that like, you know, it doesn't take too many clicks or too many commands on the, on the command proper PowerShell to end up in a box from, you know, Windows 95, mm. right? It, it really, I don't, oh, can, can we kind of just go for it? Mm-hmm. It seems like this giant rich commercial company is innovating less than, oh, I don't know, GNOME or KDE or like Pop! OS, right? Ubuntu. Even like we bitch and moan about the Mac you know what, whatever, the Mac is fine, right? It's a little annoying that they keep adding iOS features to it, but touch bar is garbage. But the Mac is not impeding getting work done in any way. Right. right. Especially the type Windows, of work you're doing. Right. So the question is, like, is Windows more targeted at, like, the business? And I think that's the answer, right? It's, you know, computer information systems versus comp sci. Mm. But... It makes me want to throw up. We can move on from here. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, because I think what the, the space you're interested in is the development space, the space where you want to get tools, you want to get to work. And there's a lot of um, niceties on the Mac side, like the app store where you can install good editors and things like that pretty quickly. That's just the, not that Windows 10 doesn't have that. It's just not as strong. On Linux, of course, you have package managers. But on top of that, you have distributions like Pop! OS and others that are trying to make it even simpler to just one-click install an entire development environment. Like Ubuntu Mate, for example, has that software boutique when you first install it. It is that, yeah. it's great. It's basically every major app you'd ever want for the Linux desktop. Some that are in the repo, some that are outside the repos, you know, and it just pulls them down for you and gets them set up for you. Uh, and it makes setting up on a Linux desktop, even for somebody who's been doing it since the 90s, it makes it a super quick, no pain situation. It's just really nice to get up and get working. Um, and there's a lot they could do in, in Microsoft, in Windows, that they could do to kind of make that process easier. I mean, hell, really, they have the money. Why not make an official Windows package manager that is something that's in the community? I think there is something in the works for that. But you know, there, there's, there's so many little areas there. where they could round they could round off the rough edges, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't even know, right? Because it, it, it's, it's more to... How people package for them as well. Part of it is how the projects package. How for people package, and the fact that you would link to a DLL and C program files seems crazy, right? The fact that there's like Windows was not envisioned as a development environment, I guess, where Unix obviously was, right? That was the point of I mean, using Unix to cover everything, right? Mac, BSD, uh, Linux. That feels weirdly fragile, right? The fact that you know what it is. This is exactly what it is. Once you do something on Mac or Linux, because it's all Unix underneath, you can write a script, you can have a switch to detect if you're Mac or, or Linux, because there's some minor differences. And then that Spash script is is gospel. On Windows, 
they're getting there with PowerShell, but it's not as standard. And you have all kinds of crazy dependency problems. Yeah. I don't know. The whole DLL thing seems like it, it's weird. And this is where my Mac guy bias might come in from the past. Dynamic linking, I think, is super bad. <laughs> like if you remember chris from the olden days or not that olden days mac apps generally don't dynamically link yeah they bundle statically link they bundle the static basically a static link everything and that saves the user and the developer okay well if you don't have this i need a catch to tell you to go install visual studio c you know 2012 right and yeah your binaries are a little fatter but there's some security ramifications as well because now you're well, up to the no, developer. Dynamic, dynamic is worse. Not Well, the developer, if you intentionally infect your static, right. If you intentionally infect your libraries. Or if you just base, like, you know, you ship an old, op, an old open SSL and it has a vulnerability and then your app's still using that and say it's not, like, checking the cert of an HTTPS server. There's some vulnerabilities in the past where applications are still shipping those old yep, libraries when the system libraries have been updated. But that's a, you know, that's an argument since the 80s, so. I well, dynamic linking has the issue of, and we'll get into this later with licensing, where if somebody sh- ships a fraudulent version of a library that you might depend on, and the user mistakenly installs it, your app thinks that's the correct version of the library, and now maybe all your HTTP traffic is being sniffed or... Mm, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Speaking of dynamic linking, we're going to get to that later on, but <clears throat> to close your thoughts out, I... I uh, I think actually to respond to your thoughts, uh, I think you I think you may have nailed it. Windows itself wasn't initially conceived as a, so much as a development platform as an application delivery platform. And I know that sounds funny because Microsoft's been pretty good at building developer tools and developer relations over the years. But I think when you look at Windows itself, it was meant to be an end user desktop experience first. I mean, what would be the right intention? And that's also why I've never felt like it was a great note as a server. Like, it just seemed a little off-tone to me. <laughs> you know, retrofitting something to be something else instead of using something that was built from the ground up to be that thing. Uh, so I think that's maybe some of the friction you're coming up with, as well as you're dealing with perhaps an open-source project that, uh, while is probably the largest, has their largest install base on Windows, may not necessarily be a Windows-first organization. And uh, that's being reflected in how they care about their packaging, I think. But anyways, I think we have more to get into, so I'll take a moment right here and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Go to do.co slash coder, no S on that one, do.co slash coder, and get a $100 credit for 60 days when you sign up with a new account. Now, DigitalOcean is a simple, scalable compute platform with industry-leading price to performance. Everything has enterprise-grade SSDs, predictable costs and billing. 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, data centers all over the world. And early in the year, DigitalOcean launched a new flexible droplet plan for $15 a month, which I think this is such a great deal. This is the best deal, I think, really. You can mix and match resources the most appropriate for your application. The one that I go to, my go-to test server, three cents an hour, four gigs of RAM, two CPUs, an 80 gigabyte SSD, three terabytes of transfer, all for three cents an hour. Then DigitalOcean manages it all with an industry-leading dashboard. It's super easy to use, but very powerful. A great API that's well documented, lots of lots and lots of applications built around it. Ninety-nine point nine nine percent uptime SLA, cloud firewalls that block traffic at the network level so they never even touch your droplet, baked in monitoring alerting, perfect DNS management, and one of the best team tools I've ever used. The thing I love about DigitalOcean is it makes it easy to get up and going quick. You go from idea to actual production in minutes. 
which is sometimes the difference between having an idea and executing and having an idea and never doing it. It's made a huge difference for us. do.co slash coder. Go there, try it out, no S, get a $100 credit and kick the tires for 60 days. You'll really, I mean, I mean, with a hundred dollar credit, you could really, you could really turn that thing up if you want. They have some super powerful systems with hundreds of gigs of RAM. Um, I believe last time I checked, it was like, yeah, 196 gigs of RAM, 32 CPU cores, <laughs> three ter- 3.8 terabytes of disk. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to use that hundred dollar credit, go for it. Do something awesome. Do.co slash coder. Big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, do.co slash coder. Mr. Dominic, this cute conversation has got me wondering about one of the big bits of feedback we've seen, and that is the questions about Qt's legal terms around licensing. Maybe that's the way to put it. Because I'll tell you what, I thought this was a no-brainer. I thought this was a pretty simple, go get a subscription, good to go, you have no problem. And then I started looking into it, and I am way more confused than I thought I would be after reading their own website, reading forums, reading Quarapos, I mean, Stack Exchange, yeah. uh, their FAC. I read their entire FAC. Uh, have you run into this issue, and is this a concern for you? Yeah, so the answer to this is from Freddie Mercury. I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. Meaning you want to use Qt, you want to use a proprietary app, you might be able to statically link if you never, ever, ever, ever do anything that would compromise you. Um, but pony up some money. And by the way, that subscription is not a subscription. You have to pay that within 30 days, the total for the year. Oh, and so it's good for had, one year and each developer has to have a license, right? It's per developer. Any developer that touches the project, project if you don't, you're automatically under the LGPL. So I had a brief conversation, a couple conversations actually with uh, reps from Q. And the situation is um, interesting. So for our case to have two developers on this project, it would be immediately over $11,000. No way. Which is just not, that, that, that dog don't hunt. And that's for the first year. And then it renews at a much, much more forgiving rate. But the basic idea is that you can use the LGPL version, the open source version. You may not include Qt, and you have to be very, very careful about what you do, including you have to share the .o outputs of your compiled code, which I, mm. for my use case, I think is not going to be acceptable. Mm. It feels bad. I mean, Q Richard Stallman, but like, this this is uh, just not an acceptable outcome for yeah. Negative in the freedom dimension. I mean, I, I get it, right? Like if and and oh, the other thing, and you know, I heard from a birdie. In the future, more of their components are not going to even be LGPL. They're going to be straight GPL unless you have a license. So and those licenses are pretty handsomely priced. Geez, this is pretty disappointing. So. So you can dynamic. So you could ship it if you don't have a, an annual license. If you dynamically link, that is the first thing you need to do. You also need to include, and this is for me the killer. You need to include the .dot o 
yeah. um, output of your compiled code. Right. And you need to uh, refer back to Q and you have to have all the proper, you know, disclosures that you're the normal stuff that you would have to do for a BSD or an MIT license. And how big of a compromise is that? Not the not the dynamically linking part, like take that out. But how big of a compromise is the rest for you? The dot O thing is probably unacceptable because there's, you know, I'm working right now in the aerospace space. Uh, I know that's a terrible way to phrase that. <laughs> and decompilers are a thing that exist. Right. And I'm not going to use any weird obfuscation tool or anything like that. So while I definitely like it as a development platform, I'm probably going to talk about it a little more in future episodes. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, a JB or a Madbot or a size company being able to pay this. I mean, without serious compromises. <laughs> Yeah, they, they uh, now to be fair, to be fair, they have a startup licensing plan, but your company has to in revenue, not profit, but revenue has to make less than $100,000 a year. And you have to document that. So to me that's just not, I mean we make, you know, more than that. And um I think the hype train just got super derailed here. <laughs> I feel a little Yeah, I was disappointed. In fact, it's funny because I, I wrote these show notes and then I had the final meeting. And it, it it was one of the briefest meetings I've ever had because I said, Well, if that's you know, if that's just the way it is, I'm gonna, if you can't work with me, then we can't afford it. I mean unfortunately that that's what it comes down to, right? We can't we can't drop eleven thousand dollars on uh on software licensing when we could use .NET for free. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm on a Windows 10 machine right now. Oh, uh, okay. There it is. Yeah. So <sighs> it, it's it's really... I get why they're doing it, and, and the answer is, well, you know, small little shops like the Madbot are just not their target customer. I think that's it. They're looking at people that are building products for devices, and, right. you know, multi-platform projects that are big projects, they probably figure, ah, a couple thousand dollars per dev is no big deal. And it wouldn't be for a large company. It'd be, that'd be standard operating procedure. Yeah. Well, it's, it, unfortunately for some, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very surprised they don't have like a small business plan. A lot of companies I've dealt with that do have these kind of schemes. Um, I mean, pricing schemes, not, not in a negative connotation. When you tell them, hey, man, we're like a five-person company, they say, oh, well, let me call my manager. You know, they put you on hold, they fake it for two minutes, and then they come back and say, well, here's what we can do for, you know, somebody of your size. Hmm. That was not the case. <laughs> Cute. Yeah, yeah, that would have been really Sorry, nice. buddy, the so, price is the price. Yeah. That would have been great. You you know, that's that's kind of bad in a way because I'd like to see them be hungry. I'd like to see them want to hustle a little bit because I'd really like to see this. I'd really like well, to it, see every, it, everything they're working on take off in a big way. It, it's also bad for your and I's dream of like Linux as a default development platform for a lot of people. For commercial um, applications, yeah. For commercial applications mm -hmm. that are uh, GUI-based, right? Mm -hmm. That aren't electronic. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, I have been painstakingly trying to find a development platform for this project. Yeah, I know. And Qt was perfect. Yeah. But we just we just can't do it. So that means... Wow. I have no option but to do it on uh, on Windows. Because that's the platform you have to deliver for. We're required, right. <sighs> Man. We're, we're, yeah, we're bound 
How, how often do you suppose some version of this, maybe it's not cute, but you know, some version of this happens more often than not, and that's what blocks cross-platform applications, is something like this. The tool you need, you can't use, or... I mean, it's just so disappointing, and I really would, I would love to just see this problem shift because I, I'm no longer, a, you know, I'm no longer this big advocate that I used to be. I'm now just a, I used to have a term for it, like I used to be an evangelist and now I'm an advocate, so that's the way I should put it. I'm no longer a big evangelist for it, but I am still quite the advocate for the Linux desktop because it's really, there is a piece to it. When you switch to a stable platform that just works for you and is reliable and doesn't have a bunch of weird commercial interest dragging it around by the nose, there is a peacefulness that you have. Like there's like this confidence in your oh, tool yeah. set. And I, I want to like spread the good word to people be like, your, your, your entire computer can be empowering. You, you know, you don't have to feel like you're making compromises. Uh, but if the applications aren't there, this it's, you know, people are just going to laugh me off. Um, and you know, you have developers like yourself that are willing to invest time and money and uh, development efforts into targeting the Linux desktop. And I'm a, I'm a longtime Linux user who would have no qualms about paying for commercial software. Uh, but people just, you know, different things keep coming up that prevent it from ever happening. And that's one of the things that locks in the uh, applications on Windows and Mac. And, you know, predominantly Windows, because you've got such the install base there. Wow, that's really too bad. That's too, so... What kind of project would you still consider using Qt for in the future? I hate making future predictions because I'm often wrong, as the subreddit will be quick to tell you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, honestly, I hope that Qt Company, which is actually their legal name, realizes that there are a lot of small software development companies out there that could also be there. Like, I have no objection to paying a license fee. I'm just we're just not structured in a way that we can pay that much. Right. Let's say you were creating, you know, a Jupyter broadcasting soundboard app that was going to be GPL anyways. Oh, well, sure. If it was already going to, right. If, 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 if the model for a piece of software was that it was like open source, then yeah, obviously I wouldn't care. I would just GPL everything. Hmm. It's really when you want to go commercial, but you don't have enough funding to buy the annual. And that's every year too. So if this app, continues to produce but you haven't significantly the, the update the subscription update is less okay okay than the initial purchase okay but you know even if you have the money i mean i, I don't i don't know about you chris but an eleven thousand dollar check is a check i would think twice about writing yeah or 20 times before i wrote it yeah it's it it, it seems i don't know obviously they're doing it though right a bunch of the tesla stuff's written in cute like I think it really is as simple as they're targeting bigger enterprises that just like, this is a bar tab. Yeah, and it might be a way to weed out uh, support costs, undue burden in support. You know, if the riffraff can't afford us, then we don't have to waste our support time. Uh, you know, you just uh, make sure that... Yeah, but you could do like a startup tier. I've seen, like Xamarin, I completely agree, this, yeah. Where, where it was a startup tier where, listen, I understand you don't have a lot of cash, you can pay us every quarter... And you get like very, you get limited support. You get two tickets a quarter or something, right? Yeah, I mean, not to go on about this, but that is why I'm a little disappointed. Is I would love to see the cute company being competitive in that way because there is an obvious gap in the market right now, especially for something that's independent right now. Uh, and they could really be aggressive, and they could go after that. And it seems like an obvious choice they're making not to. And that's why I'm a little, I'm a little, you know, hoorum about it because it seems like, oh damn, I was, I was kind of hoping they were going to be more competitive, but. I was loving it. I mean, I have to say, I have not enjoyed programming as much as I have writing the C++ for the, uh, 
for the little cute prototype I was doing in this project. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, crazy past Mike. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, seriously, I have not. Like, you know what? I Visual Studio Windows. I mean, I'm gonna lose my lunch, right? Like, it, it's just, and my lunch was sushi, so it's gonna be bad. I loved it. I I was so into it. We were gonna have cute episodes for months, and then it was basically, well, you know, we're in the wrong tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I I don't know what to say. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we end on some positive news? So, uh, d- uh, Android nine came out this week. There's a couple of new nice features in there. That's nice and positive. I said positive. I know. I'm okay. All right. I'm trying. I'm trying. And how many devices is it installed? Oh, you bastard! You always got to bring it down. Uh, okay. How about this one? Here's some positive news. Uh, according to the I- latest iOS twelve developer betas, group FaceTime has been removed from iOS twelve and will ship later in the fall. Ah, uh, yes, Apple. Yeah, that might be a good sign. You know what? Apple punting features and waiting for them to get developed could be a good sign. That I wouldn't necessarily say that's bad. They need they could do a little more of that. You know, ship some Macs, bake your software a little more, stay competitive, because nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is staying competitive like that. So, and Microsoft is, but obviously you run into issues. Uh, well, Mr. Dominic, I, I, I tried. I gave it a go, you know. You tried. You gave it a shot. You gave it an honest try. Here's something kind of positive. We have a little uh, PSA. We will be doing a double coder next Monday to compensate for travel. And so if you would like to join us for a live stream, that'd be a good one. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. We usually start around uh, 12 p.m. Pacific. I usually get the stream fired up around 1130 a.m. Pacific and get some music going at jblive.tv and you can come hang out for a couple of double coders. They'll get released in the RSS feed around their regular time-ish, uh, but we'll be recording both of them next week. So there you go. There's a positive plug. You know, that feels I've good. I've never been more turned on in my life. I know. It is exciting, right? Every opportunity you and I get to link up and talk is always good. It's always And next week we're talking about my new favorite dev platform, VB6. Yeah! Hey, everybody! Alright, why don't you tell people where they can get a little more Dominic M in their life, you know? Uh, follow me at Dumanuku. And if you're an attorney who's an LGPL expert, I would love to hear from you. No kidding, right? That's part of it. Is Yeah, maybe somebody could give you some good advice there. If you've got thoughts on anything we've talked about today, you can leave us feedback, coder.show slash contact. And links to some of the things we talked about are at coder.show slash 322. I'm also on the Twitters. I'm at Chris LAS. The show is at Coder Radio Show. And the whole network is at Jupiter Signal. Hey, look at me. I can remember things that I've said a thousand times, everybody. And like I mentioned already, we have the calendar page where you can find out about our live times. And we got the live stream, but I told you about all of that. So really, the only thing I have left to say is thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. And we will see you right back here next week.